In this, uh, in this Gospel of John, the account of Jesus Christ, John has been telling us about what Jesus has been doing. And Jesus has been on the move. He has been uh, ministering to the people. And in John chapter 9, we find this man who's born blind. So the last two weeks, we've talked about that. If you want to go back and look at some of those sermons for more context, I'll let you do that. But the bottom line is, there's been a kerfuffle, if you will, amongst the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders who are sort of the lawyers of the day. Uh, they are the Princeton elite. So that's the best way to think about them. They're lawyers, but they're like the Ivy League people. And so they have their teachings about how to do things, and those teachings are very specific. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he just exudes the life of God because he is God. And so everywhere he goes is healing and life and righteousness and peace and joy. It's just coming out of him. It's in his disciples. It's everywhere. And this is who Jesus is. And so the Pharisees, the lawyers, they don't really know how to deal with this. And so he's having a discussion with them. He tells them basically that they're following Satan instead of following God because they don't recognize who he is. And so in doing this, they are very upset with him. And somehow he manages to slip out, though they want to kill him. So he leaves the temple area. And upon leaving the temple area, the disciples see a man who's born blind. So he's now a grown man. From his birth, he's been blind. And so they decide to ask a theological question. So notice it's been very tense in these discussions with the Ivy League people. And now the disciples want to have an, a different question that will kind of change the attitude. And so they ask Jesus, was this man born blind because of his own sin or his parents' sin? Because the normal way that people understood, uh, whenever somebody had a, a deformation of any kind, there must have been some sin involved that allowed this thing to happen. And so they're getting in God's justice what they have deserved in some way, either for the parents' account or for their account of their own. And so they're asking this theological question of Jesus to say, what's the deal with this guy? And Jesus says, it wasn't his sin, it wasn't his parents, he was born this way that the glory of God might be revealed, and heals him. Do you remember how he heals him? Spits on the ground, makes mud, which is one of the things the Pharisee says you cannot do on the Sabbath day. So it's interesting how he's messing with them still. Puts the mud in his eyes, says, go to the pool, wash, and you'll see. And so the blind man stumbles his way to a pool, washes his eyes out, and then he can see. This account goes on, and the blind man is brought in. He's brought before all the professors and all the lawyers, and they ask him a bunch of questions. Who is this Jesus guy? How could he do this? What do you say about him? And the blind man says, he must be a prophet because he healed me. So then they question, is this even really the guy so they bring his parents into court and say, is this your son who was born blind? And they're like, yeah, that's him. But instead of saying, praise God, they're like, why are you asking? Because this is a very tense sort of legal moment. They didn't come in to say, well, let's rejoice together. They come in to bring them into court because they're questioning about these things. And they say, who is this Jesus guy that did this? And they say, you're going to have to ask him. We don't, he's, he's a grown man. We don't know. And so they bring the guy back in a second time. This time they ask him, who's this Jesus guy? What did he do for you? He goes, I already told you what he did. He healed me. Never has this happened in the history of the world that a man born blind suddenly sees. Do you want to be his disciples too? Oh, they don't like that. So they kick him out. So he's kicked out of the temple. He's not allowed to worship anymore. He's sent away. And he comes out and immediately he sees Jesus who comes to find him. Now, he's never actually seen Jesus before because he was blind. So Jesus comes to him, 
And he asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? It's himself. He's the Messiah. He says, Lord, show me who he is that I might believe in him. And he says, the one you have seen and the one you hear now, it's, it's me. And so the man throws himself on the ground and worships him. How amazing. Look at the progression of how this man's eyes are opened in more ways than just his physical eyes. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? It's a great story. You should go back and listen to those two sermons. <laughs> then in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking, and now he's got a little crowd around him. And so he's been talking to the Pharisees and um, telling them more things about worshiping the, the God, and basically tells them that he is the Lord. Um, they can't receive it, and it's a mess of people being upset and all kind of things. And in John chapter 10 now, Jesus is going to continue in this speech that he's giving to all the people there. So let's read together John chapter 10, verse 1. Here's what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter through the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Praise the Lord for his word. How beautiful is this? Now, the Pharisees and the, the lawyers, they're not going to fully understand this. But Jesus is basically telling them what the gospel is going to be. He's telling them the way to salvation, and it's through him. Um, once upon a time, a long time ago, uh, I used to be a soldier. And, and when I was a soldier once upon a time, I, uh, I served in Iraq, and I was there. And one night, we were on a patrol in a place called Al-Zahor, just outside Baghdad. And we were supposed to link up with this crew because... We had received this intelligence that this area, this power plant or something, was going to be attacked potentially, and we were supposed to go make sure they were okay. So we're driving, and I'll be honest with you, we were totally lost. Like, this power plant place is way out in the middle of nowhere. There's no big roads to it because they wanted to keep it safe. And it was just this weird area. And so we're on these funny, like, overflow culverts because there's a river nearby, and we're just driving the Humvees. And finally, we come to this giant gate, and I, we're like, I guess this is it. And this guy shows up, an American guy shows up. And he was like this tall. And um, he came out and he's all in black and just kind of emerged out of the shadows and just sort of stood there. 
like this. And so we stop the trucks and we come over to talk to him. We're like, hey man, I can tell you're an American. Like, where are we right now? We're supposed to link up at this place. And he's like, you found me. I was like, oh, okay, um, great. My orders are to make sure you're safe. Like, everything okay? He's like, yeah, everything's fine. Lights a cigarette. And he's just standing there. We're good. And so I'm like, uh, okay. I'm like, can you walk over here to the light? There's a little bit of light and he kind of comes over. He's all in black, right? And this guy looked like something out of a video game, right? He had a hockey helmet on, so not a real like regular army helmet. He had a hockey helmet on. He had like a big radio thing. He had just guns everywhere. He had to have like eight. He had just, I mean, just stuff all over him. I don't know how he was walking. He's like, like this. He, this guy looked like something out of a movie. So picture for a moment Rambo, right? Just picture him for a moment. He's got the thing, does the boots, right? And then just loaded with stuff. And so this, that's this guy. So he's walking around and it's him alone. He's got one partner somewhere. And so I asked him, let's say his name is Bubba. I said, Bubba, I said, are you, are you okay? Like, we're supposed to make sure this place is safe. He's like, I got it. I said, okay. Uh, when you say I got it, like, we're supposed to help you defend this area. Like, do you want us to stay or do you mean like you don't want us here? He's like, I got it. I said, okay, but I, I've got 12 guys and trucks and stuff and you're like you. And you, because like we heard that this place might get attacked. And he's like, no, I got it. And so I, I'm just looking at him like, what are you going to do? And he's like, listen. And he shows me, I got it. <laughs> All right. And so I turn around like, guys, he's got it. And one of the guys in the back's like, well, what are we doing out here then? I'm like, it's going to be all right. So we get back in the trucks, and I said, the guys asked me, they're like, what are we going to do now? I said, let's just wait for a while with him. I, I don't know. What's this dude going to do? And everybody's laughing because he's, he's decked out. He thinks he's everything. But one guy against whatever attack's going to happen, you're in trouble. You know, sometimes we fool ourselves thinking that whatever dangers might approach us, whatever things might come, whatever stuff's in the night, whatever intelligence we have of things that are coming, like, I, I got it. I got enough here. I got my reputation. I got my Facebook account. I got friends that love me. I got a good bank account. I got, you know, Disney Plus if I need it. Netflix is up to date. Just, you know, paying a little more money, that's fine, no big deal. Um, and if at the end of the day all else fails, I got my health, I can run fast. So I'm going to be fine. And the reality here is the Lord has sent a shepherd to us. He hasn't called us to be alone. He hasn't called us to try to defend all the things that come to our life by ourselves. And the reality is, really, we cannot. The blind man's story happened right before this because Jesus is proving a point. The glory of God is being revealed through somebody who is totally helpless at the temple. I, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us. I wonder, how did he get to the pool to wash his eyes? So you're there. Let's say he's your cousin, right? You see Jesus come up. You're not really sure who Jesus is at this point yet. He hasn't been to the cross. He's not resurrected. You've heard things about him. He can heal people. Sounds pretty amazing. And then he spits on the ground and puts it into your cousin's eyeballs. Like he's got mud all over his face from spit. That's gross. And also, if I touch that guy because he's unclean, I can't go to worship today. And today's the worship day. And so... I. 
you got this stuff on you. And he's saying, please, somebody take me to the pool. Where's the pool? Is it this way? He's blind. He doesn't know. How did he get there? Maybe somebody took him by the hand. Come with me. I'm going to help you. They were risking a lot to do that. Because this guy is not just an outcast of society. If you touch him, he will make you an outcast. You know, being an outcast is not fun. It's not good, is it? Just think about junior high and high school. Right? It doesn't feel good to be on the outside. And so somebody's got to risk a lot to take this guy. And it's in the context of this guy receiving his sight. And not only sight, but spiritual sight. To now see who Jesus is and respond with worship knowing that Jesus is God. That's incredible. It's beyond what even Jesus' own disciples are realizing. And so now he's in a really a different place. And it's in that context that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And all the lawyers of the day, they feel like they have the right ammunition. They feel like they have the right loadout in their life. That whatever comes, they can defend against it and it's going to be fine. And that temptation is also in us to try to go it alone and save ourselves. And the reality is, we're more like the blind man than anything. Helpless without Jesus. I will speed up that story just because I know you're going to be wondering later. The guy was fine, never got attacked. Everything was great, praise the Lord, just so you know. But here's Jesus. And so he tells them, I am the good shepherd. Did you know in this time period, if you're a shepherd, you are not allowed to testify in court because a shepherd's profession in life was so low that the Roman court system believed that you were not intelligent enough to be able to testify in a court case. That's what a shepherd is. And Jesus is telling the people he's the good shepherd. Did you know that shepherds' lives are worth less than the flocks that they are protecting? Think about that for a minute. Their lives are worth less than the sheep that they're guarding. And Jesus embraces it. He says a good shepherd is one who will lay down his life for the sheep. A hired hand who doesn't own the sheep, he'll just run away. It doesn't matter. But I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own. What is he implying? He's saying without saying in super clear words, but he's saying I'm the owner. I own the sheep. Did you know that you are owned by God? Not just sheep out in the pasture that don't matter. You are his. And because he loves us, because of his great care for the sheep, he's willing even to lay down his own life for the sheep. That's incredible. What's more incredible is he says in verse 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me just as the father knows me. And I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. What a statement. Did you know that God's plan and intention is to know you so thoroughly that just as Jesus and the Father are one and know each other, that they would know you. And ready? You will know them. You will know him. That you will have a real relationship with God. That you'll know the good shepherd. That you'll know the one who's protecting you and leading you and guiding you. The one who's laying down his life to protect you. The one who has saved us, who has claimed us. The one who is our master. He's our owner. He's our everything. And he wants to know you. How incredible is that? And so the people who are hearing this, could you imagine now being the blind man who sees and still hearing this? You've already risked everything 
to bow down before Jesus. And now you're hearing the best affirmation of all time because he's saying, I know my own. I wonder if Jesus isn't even looking right at him. I know my own, that everybody else cast off, that everybody else wrote off, who is helpless without me, and yet he is mine and I know him. Having come from a place where no one would even touch you to lead you potentially to the pool where you can receive your sight. Now to have a savior who says, I am your shepherd. Having a shepherd is a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing. Uh, I was on a mission one time in Iraq. Sorry, once I get into army stories, then they're all poor out of me. I was on a mission one time, and um, we were in a police station, and I suspected the police station of doing some nefarious things. And so uh, in this district, there was a lot of crime, and it was weird, and the police were supposed to be controlling it. Obviously, they weren't, and there was lots of bad things happening. And so I had a meeting with the, the chief of police for the district, which was three police stations in this one area. So think of like Baldwin, okay? So I'm meeting with the Baldwin police chief. And he got delayed in some meeting. And so the, like, the number two guy comes. And he walks in, he sits at the desk, and he's there with me and a, and a couple of his guys. And it's me and a guy named Sergeant Mills. Sergeant Mills was a good, good guy, really dependable, known him for a long time. He's strong, all those good things. And so we'd been out doing stuff for, I don't know, 16 hours or something like that. And so we're kind of at the end of the day, and I'm supposed to meet with this guy. And um, I sit down at the desk, and I'm, I'm just tired of it. Like, things are going poorly, and it's, it's just been a mess. And so I sit down with the number two guy, and he says, uh, what can I do for you today, sir? And I said, um, let me ask you a question. I said, why aren't you controlling the crime? I know your police aren't patrolling. I know they're not doing anything. And I've heard rumors that at nighttime they're stealing from people, setting up checkpoints on the road, and then guys come through and they, they charge a tax to go out on the road, which is not a real tax. Is that true? Uh, I, uh, I, uh, I don't know. And I said, uh, what do you want to do here? Do you want to actually secure this town or do you not want to secure the town? And he goes, well, what are we supposed to do? You have tanks and you have airplanes, you have all this stuff. What are we supposed to do? And I said, do you mind if I take all this off? And he's like, sure. So I took off my helmet, I took off my bulletproof vest thing, put everything down, put my rifle down, and I'm sitting on the couch with him. And I said, I said, at the end of the day, I'm just a man just like you. Everybody's afraid. Everybody. And yes, there's technology, but this is your country. This is your town. This is your home. Don't you want to defend it? And he, I saw a crack in the armor, if you will. And he was like, yeah. And so I went on a limb and I said, I have a feeling that most of the police force are gangsters. And they're on the payroll of this one gangster bad guy. Let's call him Al Capone. I said, your guy's belong to Al Capone. As soon as I said the word Al Capone, one of the other police guys jumped up and went like this, la, 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 and ran out of the room. And that was weird, so I watched this guy go by. <laughs> what the heck was that? And I look at the number two guy, and he looks at me, and he looks at his pistol on the desk, and he looks at me. And I'm in my mind calculating how fast can I roll to draw my weapon to shoot this guy, which I didn't have to do, praise God. I'm telling you this big story. It's okay. Everything's okay. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm watching. And the guy goes, like this, 
and I think, Sergeant Mills. And I look over at Sergeant Mills, and he's sitting in the chair holding his tea that they gave us like this. <laughs> the guy's 100% asleep. I'm, somebody ran out of the room. He did not stir. And so I look back at this guy like, this is it. And the guy goes, brings his hands up like this, and he goes, you're right. We all belong to Al Capone. Everybody. Everybody. I don't know what to do. I can't do anything. If I say anything, my family's in jeopardy. If we do anything, their families are in jeopardy. What do we do? Help us. And I very quickly put all my gear back on. <laughs> and, but that's, this is what happened, and we're sitting there. Here's Jesus in the story. Did you know you have a king who neither slumbers nor sleeps? You have a king who became so humbled that he would be born to a poor family in a barn and grow up like we grew up, but without sin. Did you know that Jesus would grow and live perfectly and be tempted in every way that we are, but not sin? He knows what it means to be a man. Did you know that when you cut your finger accidentally while you're cooking, he probably did that too and knows what that feels like. When you're exhausted at the end of, end of the day and it's been a hard day's work, he served in his father's cabinetry place as a carpenter, working with stone and working with all kinds of things. He was with Joseph doing those things. Everybody knew of him as, isn't he that carpenter from Galilee? They know this Jesus of Nazareth. They know him, who he is. He worked hard. He knows what it means to sweat. He knows what it means to bleed. He knows what it means to feel heartbreak. His, one of his best friends betrays him with a kiss to go to his death. The guy that everybody trusted with the money because he was so trustworthy turned out to be a snake. And Jesus knows it. Did you know at the Last Supper, before communion and the Last Supper takes place, Jesus washes the, the disciples' feet? He washes Judas's feet. And then tells him in the Last Supper, go and do what you're going to do quickly to betray me. This king who would humble himself to wash the feet of his betrayer. But the Bible tells us that we were all enemies of God. You understand, we all belong to Al Capone. Every one of us was on his payroll. Every one of us was, the, was believing in ourselves rather than believing in God. Every one of us thought that we could do it because we had the right loadout. And the Bible tells us yet, while we were yet his enemies, that Christ died for us. And Jesus Christ, who was so humble but so powerful because he is God. He's upholding all things. He is running the world while he's also walking the streets and healing a blind man. This Jesus, who is so good, would willingly go to a cross for us and die a traitor's death, die a betrayer's death, die an enemy's death. That's due us. How amazing. Why would he do that? He does that because he's the good shepherd. He does that because he doesn't want us to belong to any Al Capones. He owns us, and we are his. More than that, he has the desire that just as he and the Father are one and know each other, that he would actually know us. How good is this king? How good is Jesus? He goes on to say in verse 16, let's read it together. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. 
For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Man, he's so obedient. And there was again division among the Jews because of those words. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so Jesus creates this division now in all these things he's saying. And we're looking at this story today because at the end of the day, many of us come to God even when we know him, even when we know him as the good shepherd, even when we know that he's leading us, even when we know he won't forsake us, he won't just leave us to things. And many of us come to him wearing our own garments of all the things that we think can protect us. We come before him saying, yeah, thank you, Lord. I appreciate you defending me, but really, I got it. And we do that by our attitudes. We do that by our actions of thinking that we don't need him. You know, it's so funny how, and I'm saying this of myself, like we go to the, the big retreats and conferences and things like that. Isn't it funny how you got like one week of just, you are jazzed about the word of God. And then all of a sudden, you come to read the word and you're just tired. Isn't that funny? It's like the disciples when Jesus told them to come with him to pray in the garden before he went to the cross. And they come and they start to pray and they're just immediately asleep. There's something about like this spiritual oppression that comes sometimes when you want to be close to the Lord. But I'm telling you, we have a good shepherd who is better than all those things, who's more powerful than all those things. We have a good shepherd who leads us well. We have a good shepherd who brings us to himself, who knows us completely, and who owns us. And his desire for us is that we would be totally known by him and walking in his way. How do shepherds do that? How do shepherds lead their sheep? What do you know of them? It's a real question. What do you think? They have those funny hook things. Yeah, they have those funny staffs. Yep. They can direct the sheep around. What else do they do? They whistle. Yeah, they have a rod, some kind of thing to hit them. They hit the sheep. Prod the sheep, sure. Yeah, what else do they do? The sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. That's right. They know the shepherd, and they follow him. Modern-day sheep, you know, we tend to think about, like, Ireland, don't we? When you think of a sheep, be honest, you close your eyes and you think of sheep grazing on a hill. Is it green? It's green. This is not green. Shepherds in this time, time frame came out, and Israel's very rocky and desert mostly. And usually in the morning, the dew will form on one side of the rock where the wind is blowing. And that side of the rock will grow just enough little crops that good shepherds will know where to go to make sure that the sheep have enough to eat. And so when the shepherds are taking the flock out, it doesn't mean green Ireland everywhere. It means the shepherd knows right where to take you. That's the right place. That's a different thought, isn't it? And they know your voice. The shepherd speaks and the sheep know the voice. Usually in our context, we have a dog with us, don't we? They don't like dogs. This time frame, people don't really have dogs like we have dogs. So they don't use dogs to move the sheep around. It's just the shepherd's voice and that staff that directs them and the rod that moves them along. You know, a lot of times in life, we don't want God to rod us, do we? We don't want to feel that movement. And yet, I'm telling you, in the hardest times of life, isn't it funny how the psalmist said it this way, your rod and your staff, they comfort me because I know that you are directing me. Did you know that sheep 
and I say this of the best of us, not the most intelligent animals. Did you know that sheep have a proclivity, kind of like a turtle, they'll flip upside down, and they'll sort of just stay there until they die? Sometimes sheep get stuck, and they just get sickly, and they flip upside down, and if they don't get rolled over, they will literally just give up and die. And so good shepherds not only know where to go, they know which sheep are the weak sheep that they can bring amongst the strong to make sure they get the right sustenance to grow. They know when sheep have this proclivity to flip upside down and do silly things and to come over and use that hook and pull them back the right way. So ready? So they don't die. How incredible is that? They know when they need to have water and to bring them to the water. They use that rod effectively to get the whole herd together so that one doesn't get lost. And Jesus even tells us if one gets lost, he's going to go find it because they all matter to him. Why? Because he's the owner. He's the owner of the sheep. Did you know that shepherds, good shepherds, if a lamb is really hurting or something is bad or something is not happening well or it's been sick, they'll often take that lamb and put him on their neck. And the reason being is that those lambs then can feel the heartbeat, they can feel the warmth of the shepherd, and it will rejuvenate those lambs. Good shepherds, ready for this, will carry the sheep. Could you imagine the stench? Could you imagine what that would do to your garments? A sick sheep on your shoulders in rocky terrain through the mountains. There's got to be a robot that can do that for us. There's got to be something, right? But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Jesus is willing not only to die for us, but also to take a stinky us and put us on, our, on his shoulders that we can be close to him to walk with him. More than that, the Bible tells us that God has taken our filthy rags away as we repent, as far as the east is from the west. When we believe in Jesus, when we ask him, Lord, forgive me like we did this morning at the table, the Bible tells us that the Lord removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west, and instead he puts the garments of righteousness of Christ himself clothed onto you because you are his adopted child. You belong to the shepherd. And so you're not even stinky anymore. Now you're his. And yet sometimes we walk through mud, don't we? And we need to be quick to say, Lord, forgive me because I'm yours. Forgive me because I belong to you. Forgive me because I was bought with a price. And feel the shoulders of the Savior again walking as you are along with the flock on the shepherd carried by him. And this shepherd, because he's God, is able to carry all of us. His shoulders are wide. He's a good shepherd, isn't he? He's a good shepherd. We are in uncertain times. We're in uncertain times where uh, technology moves fast, things move fast. We feel connected sometimes and then disconnected sometimes. Can you speak openly about your love for Jesus in your workplace? Can you speak openly about your love for Jesus at your school? Can you make a stand against the culture to do what the Bible says and obey the shepherd's voice rather than obey the shouting of Netflix or the shouting of Disney Plus or whatever it is. It's loud, isn't it? Today we're going to watch the Super Bowl, a lot of us. Hey, praise the Lord for that. That's going to be super fun, right? But we'll see. It's not going to be probably godly, is it? I mean, the ads are not going to be, hopefully they're good, right? Listen, I don't care about either team. I'm just hoping for good snacks, a fun time. Let's have a nice game. Let's see some great ads. 
I don't know if there's been great ads since like 2002. Let's be honest. That's okay. But I'm just saying, we'll feel all the time we feel this conflict with the world, don't we? Do you know why you feel that conflict? It's because you belong to the Good Shepherd. You're his. You're adopted into God's family. You're going to feel the conflict because you don't belong to Al Capone anymore. As we walk with Jesus, I want to remind you today, like the blind man, look at him. Trust him. Hear his voice. See him and obey him. If you have never heard the shepherd's voice before, if you don't really know Jesus, I'm telling you today is the day of salvation. If you think, I can do it myself, I got all the tools, I'll be fine. When the attack comes, you will not make it. And quite honestly, the Bible tells us we're already dead in our trespasses. You already haven't made it. And so the only way to salvation is through the door. Jesus said it this way, I'm the door. The sheep know me. How do you go through the door? You believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he came to earth, the very son of God, that he lived a perfect life without sin. He died in our place on the cross, a traitor's death, and he rose again victorious over sin and death. If you believe that, the Bible tells us that we are his children and that we belong to him. And so let the belief rise up in you again. If you've never given your life to Christ, you need to obey him, submit to him. He's the good shepherd. He's the only shepherd. But maybe you're going through life and you've put in a lot of time into making sure you have the right ammunition to protect yourself. Maybe today's the day to look at Jesus again. Maybe today's the day to put ourselves in the place of the blind man and say, you know what? All the things that I put stock into are not enough because at the end of the day, if I don't have a shepherd to lead me, I don't know if I can make it. And the truth is, without the shepherd, we are walking into oblivion. But with him, is life and life abundantly. How do you do that? You just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I, f I want to know you in every way. Forgive me, God, for walking my own way and help me, Lord, to follow you. And the Bible is clear that not only will the Lord separate our sin as far as east is from west, not only will he give us that garment of his own righteousness, but he will pull us to himself and you will hear him say, I've called you by name. That's what he says, isn't it? I know my sheep and I've called them by name. Isn't that good? He knows your name. He knows your name. I used to watch uh, from our little base that we had in Baghdad. We were on a, uh, a landfill, basically. It was right next to us. And the shepherds used to graze their sheep in the landfill. That's how they, that's how they did it. That's what was around. And so I used to marvel at them because they would take care of those sheep because that's all they had. And so they would walk them into the landfill and graze them in the trash that we would dump from the base. And I used to think, man, if, if we ate that food and it was gross already, and then the sheep are eating it, and then they're eating the sheep. That's weird. Anyway, I'll let you think about that later. <laughs> but, we were, but we were watching this and, and the care of the shepherds that they had for their sheep. And it's an amazing thing to know this, that God himself brings us to sustenance that is just right and not a landfill. Today you have a good shepherd. He doesn't slumber nor sleep. You have a good shepherd who won't leave you. You have a good shepherd who can defend you. You have a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And you have a good shepherd who knows right where to take you to make sure you get the right sustenance for life. He's good. He's good. Can we all stand? We're going to pray together.
As we close out the meeting today, let's just pray all together. Maybe one or two of you have a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. And just tell him you love him. Tell him thank you. Tell him how great he is. Tell him that life is better because of him because it is. You know, his love is better than life, says the psalmist. How great is our king? I'm going to start praying for us, and then one or two, if you just want to, just on behalf of all of us, give your, your love and adoration to God, that we can say amen with you. So I'm going to start, and then one or two pray. Here we pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we, when we were helpless, Lord, you saved us. Thank you that though we were your enemies, Lord, you saved us. Thank you that you are so kind and so good. You are the good shepherd. Thank you that you humbled yourself. Lord, that you would take such a, a low place to say that you would, be, you would be our shepherd. Father, we should be serving you in every way. And Lord, you saw fit to serve us. How incredible are you, God? How great is your grace. How wonderful your mercy. Lord, how how. Life-giving is your compassion toward us. Thank you for your gospel, God. Thank you for Jesus. Father, thank you that he came, died, and rose again that we can have life. Lord, our whole lives let us honor you and glorify you because you're our king forever.